Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo saranto suche doye hulahudi san miao san putoshe. Namo saranto suche doye hulahudi san miao san putoshe. Wu shang chen shen wei niao ba bai qian wan jie nan zao yu. Wo jin qian wan de shou chi. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in hundreds of thousands and millions of eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Shifu Shangren. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra Lecture tonight. This is uh, June 9th. It's a Saturday night. We're here in Berkeley, California to look into the Avatamsaka Sutra. And I'm going to ask Tam to please grab his regular seat. All right? We do. Could you move up, Tam? We have lots of... Uh, we Otherwise, these are going to be empty. Nobody's going to jump over you. We have... Uh, uh, three monks in residence tonight, but Venerable Dashing is is uh, being the Dharma protector for the hall. Chinwei Shir is holding down the, the Sangha Bansho seat. And there we go. All right, great. Anybody else who's brave enough, and I won't name names, to come and sit in the front row, please do. Okay, we're going to begin tonight uh, by reciting the name of the Sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. You'll find it on the front cover of your text, so please join us if you will. When we chant like this, we're invoking the, the actual triple jewel, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions. So uh, according to our founder, Master Shrenhua here, when you do that, as they say, rufa, according to Dharma, with a sincere heart, they actually come.
Please turn in your text to page 56 and 57. Wushuli or Wushuchi. Right up at the top, the very first word. We'll read the Chinese first, and if you can read the characters, do that. If not, follow with the romanization, the ABCs. Here we go. Tsu Pusa Tian Er Qing Jing. Guan Okay, English to the right. This Bodhisattva's heavenly ear is purified. This Bodhisattva's heavenly ear is purified. Surpassing human hearing. Surpassing human hearing. He can hear all the sounds of humans and gods. He can hear all the sounds of humans and gods. Whether near or far away. Whether near or far away. Even sounds of mosquitoes, gnats, and so forth. Are completely audible to him. Okay. We're in the section of the text that's talking about psychic powers, real psychic powers. And I say it that way because psychic powers in uh, Chinese, Vietnamese, Asian society has become something different. There's a cultural level of shantong which has. Uh, very little to do with, with what the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are talking about. The name is the same, the reality is very different. In this case, the Bodhisattva's psychic powers, we heard last time about the, uh, the one called psychic abilities, which is changes in the body, changes in the material world. It comes from the Bodhisattva's deep desire to learn how to teach people to wake up from pain, wake up from the habits that cause them pain. That's the motive. And with that motive in place, these psychic powers unfold. The, um, the psychic powers of Asian, by and large, Asian popular culture, uh, including movies. Many, maybe we've had a clue what that's like if you've seen a movie where the monks are able to do magical things. Um, that kind of psychic powers comes from largely from greed, from ego, from competitiveness, from jealousy, all of the, the affliction that arises in the mind uh, that creates psychic powers. It's almost as if if you live in the spiritual realm, if you're a, uh, a uh, fortune teller, if even a stockbroker, um, you're expected to have these. And if you don't, you're a second-class monk. 
uh, tell you a story. Having uh, traveled to Malaysia, we were leaving from uh, Tringanu going to Sabah, Sarawak, which is Borneo, over to Kuching. And standing in line at the uh, Malaysia Airlines, MAS, um, which has a Garuda as their image. So we're going over to Kuching, and the, uh, the customs agent who checks us out of the airlines and Tringanu going across to Kuching, he looks at me and he goes, I see, yes. He says, you are. And you are a monk, isn't it? He says, yes. Uh, yes. He says, can you fly? I say, only when I get on the airplane. And he says, you must not be a real monk. Real monks can fly, he said. So I was like, okay, right. Whatever you say, sir, let me on the damn airplane. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But, uh, you get the point. So, uh, anyway, there's a perception that monks are supposed to be able to have psychic powers. All right, so real monks can. It's true, but this is the new definition. You can say the old definition, the actual definition of what psychic powers are. So, whether or not, I'm not here to say that the cultural version is wrong. That's not, I mean, I don't know. I'm not part of that culture. But I will say, once we have this in our minds. At least we have a, a standard by which to judge what real psychic powers might be. All right? So, tonight we get to number two out of the five that are presented. This is called the power of the Deva's ear. Tian or Tian or Tong. So, Tian or heavenly ear, Deva's ear, God's ear, mm, sublime, what, celestial ear, even, you could say, from the Tian, from the heaven. This is uh, the ability to hear with the function of this set of supernormal abilities. What is it? This bodhisattva's deva ear, it, it's deva ear if you look at the Sanskrit. It's deva chak, deva shrota, I believe. So it's the ability to hear the way God's hear. Only you're in a, heaven, in a human body. This ear is purified, meaning um, free of the limitations that our ear consciousness, by and large, give to us, to our hearing. Guo yu ren are goes beyond humans' hearing. To what degree? How much does it go beyond human ear? Ruo jin, ruo yuan, suo you yin sheng, nai zhi wen rui, meng ying, deng sheng, one long sentence. It's one long sentence. What does it say? It says, he, she, this bodhisattva, can hear all the sounds of humans and gods. So in the human realm, in the realm of the heavens, all the different realms of the heavens, no matter whether they're close by, that would be the, the gods of the desire realm, or far away. The conversations or the sounds of gods in the farthest of the form realm or the formless realm. Soyo yinsheng, all the sounds and voices they make. All the sounds they speak with, all the, all the voices they speak with, all the sounds they make. Nigeru wen rei, mang ying, dangsheng. Even to the point of insects, buzzing, buzzing insects. 
are there insects in the heavens? You think that maybe the mosquitoes are gone from heaven, right? Imagine being born in heaven. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mosquitoes certainly belong to another realm, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Are there gnats and, and such in the heavens? It says here, according to the syntax, yeah. So you can hear the sounds of bugs, even if they're deva insects, insects in the heavens. The bodhisattva can hear those with his or her ear. Completely. Can hear them completely. All right. There you go. That's number two. So the first is the, the psychic abilities, which was transforming this body to be able to walk on water, penetrate solid things, make it big, make it small, make it invisible. All those abilities are part of this bodhisattva's transformations. <coughs> what do you make of it? What about this? I mean, it tests... It, Tests your credulity, right? Could this be true? Really? Um, last week I started the lecture with all kinds of challenges, all logical challenges. No way, right? Mm. What I came up with in the end was my method of reading this, which is to say, suspend judgment. It's As we read the text, we don't have to say true, false. You can if you choose, but there's no need to judge it and say, based on my knowledge of the world of phenomena, scientific knowledge of potentials of sound, what, based on what I know, never seen it, never heard of it, never read about it, must not be true. You can do that, but if you apply any standards of knowledge what we know is pretty limited. Last week I gave the example of languages. How many languages do you know compared to how many there are? Well, that's a pretty simple test of knowledge acquisition. I don't know, I don't speak Polish. I could. I have Polish friends who speak Polish, but I don't. My knowledge is limited. Right? I can't tell you what's going on on Martin Luther King Jr. way but I'm sitting pretty close to it. I can't tell you what's going on in McKinley Avenue right outside the window. So my knowledge is limited. The Bodhisattva has done something special. He or she has, because of goodness, and this is key, because of a wish to help, has expanded the limits of what he or she knows. Essentially, consciousness has been transformed. Consciousness has been transformed. So, for example, um, dogs, as we know, have better hearing than humans. Dogs, uh, you, ever ha you ever use a dog whistle when you were younger, trying to train your puppy? And you'd blow it, and no, no sound came out, but the dog would go, you know. This, the whistle was able to make sounds inaudible to us, but very audible and distressing for the animal. Uh, I have a tin whistle that I play, an Irish tin whistle. And when I play it, I become the immediate center of attention for any dog in the area. They come up, they put their paws on my legs and put their face here and go, stop, please, right there. You know, just, I've had dogs just put their face right in my face. I stop that. 
I mean, no humans have done that. I mean, it must be okay playing. It's not that I play so badly. It's that the whistle itself is irritating to a dog's ear. They literally come up and stop that. So, how interesting. So, even dogs hear better than we do. So, could it be possible that a bodhisattva is able to unleash potentials of the ear that surpass the ear organ, the simple function of the, the, what the bones stir up, vibrating, setting off an electrical current into the, the, the brain part that registers sound. So, how interesting. What do you all think? Is this worth conversation? What, what's going on with the heavenly ear? Bodhisattva is able to hear. Any like immediate reflections or responses to what this might be? Yeah. Guan Yin Bodhisattva. In what, particularly, Jiu Shu Shuo, Zemian. Right, right. Okay, Guan Yin Bodhisattva, says Alan. Guan Yin Bodhisattva's vows allow her to hear any, no matter where you are, if you put your palms together and say, Namo Guan Yin Bodhisattva. I need some help now, right? Guan Yin is reputed, famous for being able to lend you a hand right at that point. What does that say about Guan Yin Bodhisattva's hearing ability? Right? They say a thousand arms, a thousand eyes, a thousand ears to hear the world's cries. Yeah, where's that from? That's amazing. What else? Any other reflections? What does this mean to like be able to hear the sounds of mosquitoes much more of humans? Any like, what would it be like to hear the sounds from a veterans hospital? All the old vets, the old soldiers in there going, I don't know whether life's really worth living. It's kind of Kind of, kind of down in here, you know. They've pretty much forgot us in here. My dad was in a vet's hospital for a while, a VA hospital, Veterans Administration, and because uh, that was where his insurance was. And, and I wanted to go see my dad. I dreaded going to that place because all the old soldiers who were heroes and immediately forgotten had been living there for 30 years watching the watching the leaves fall off the calendar. Months. Years. Right. Today's heroes, tomorrow's forgotten vets. What, what when you hear that? I couldn't stand it. I was just, I was in my teens and I couldn't stand that. Because these they were, men were so sad. They were heroes. Clearly they had given everything to march off to a drum and, you know, defend and they were disposable. And the talk, the sounds in that place was your heart just sank like a rock. And these men were largely healthy, but they were forgotten. You know, what's that like? What's the sounds in a jail? What's it like? Uh, in Taiwan, Hualien, we go to the Hualien Penitentiary regularly. And... Uh, the women's penitentiary in the Hualien, the women's side, 
we had gone to speak Dharma in the Hualien Penitentiary. This is the maximum security place in Hualien on the East Coast. And uh, we had finished, and a spokeswoman came out from the woman's prison. She spoke to the, her warden, and the warden came over and said, we, uh, we have a special request. Um, the women uh, know that you're here, and you didn't schedule a talk. Some of them, good behavior group went over to listen, but most of them didn't. And uh, they want to know if you could listen to their request. Okay. So we listened to their request. The woman came out and she said, you know, she said, we, we really, in, in Chinese, she says, we really would like you to come over if you could and do something because the women pretty much agree that at night when the lights goes out, there's stuff in here flying around. Right? Yeah, do you have a mantra or something? <laughs> what? what do you mean stuff flying around? Well, it's like, this place is not peaceful. You cram so many afflicted people who like committed offenses and have these karma, uh, karmic obstacles, carry, they come in with them. A lot of sick people here. Boy, at night, most of us are just like under the sheets, just trembling. Because the stuff flying down like through the halls and in the cells is like terrifying. We just wait for the sun to come up. Going, yeah, maybe we could help. <laughs> So we recited the Sharangama mantra through the halls of the penitentiary. Namo Saranto Suche Doye Ola Hodi Samyao Sambu Doche Namo Saranto Hodi Namo Going through, and uh, we had a dozen monastics and lay people, and the women all came out, those who could, those who weren't locked in, and just were like, you know, kind of, we hope it works because this is terrifying. Who knew, right, that the, the atmosphere inside a maximum security prison where folks are pretty afflicted, some are in there for life, or going to be executed, that the, the air there is full of things, you know, what just, just terrifying stuff. So the sounds, my point is what? Suppose you had your tian er, your heavenly ear, open up. Could you stand it? Could you stand it? You would have to have samadhi, stillness, compassion. Right? You'd have to be able to filter those sounds or you, your, heart, your heart would break. Couldn't stand it. Come on, you know. Oh, I got my heavenly ear open. I can hear what uh, Wall Street's saying. Which stock would you like? I can add to your portfolio. I got my ear open. You don't. <laughs> Sorry, you don't. You're shucking. That's BS. You know, get real. If you had your heavenly ear open, you'd be on the ground with your palms together, praying to Guan Yin like mad. She couldn't stand it. Don't kid me. You know, this is nonsense. So, imagine what would it be like to hear the sounds? What's the sounds of animals, mostly? Pain. How many chickens die for us every day, every hour, every minute? Right? Somebody added them up. Smithfield and all the, you know, Cargill and all the 
the, who's the one in Omaha who's the number one chicken killer in the world? There, they, there's something like 4,000 a minute, something like that, which comes down to how many per second chickens die. You know, if it's a rooster, if it's a baby boy, they just put them in a basket and grind them. They, they put them in a black plastic bag and they don't even try to raise them. They want layers, egg layers. They don't want boys. The boys just get ground, you know. So what are the sounds there? Living creatures losing their lives for profit because humans decided they were profitable, except the other half, but aren't. So, you know, we kill them like mad, and then we wonder why this world is not peaceful. You know, kumbaya, my Lord. Make it a peaceful world. Everybody say love and peace. Everybody kumbaya. Wow. No contest. The grief wins in this world. Oh, my goodness. So I'm just saying, you know, a little bit of reality check. If you had your heavenly ear open, my goodness, you would have to be completely pinged on level at the sounds that we generate. How amazing are the sounds of the world that Guanyin Bodhisattva listens to. So anyway, just to say, this Bodhisattva can hear all that. Not, they're all, not all that. Some sounds are joyful, wonderful, amazing sounds. Heart up, uplifting, you know, fulfilling sounds of satisfaction and joy. Um, but a lot of them are not. So that's the... Nobody said anything, so I started talking. I should be quiet, right? Let you talk. Otherwise, I'm going to bum you all out. Kai. You're asking me, right? I can't speak for the Bodhisattva. Sorry. <laughs> I, honestly, Kai, I don't know. No, but no long time ago, when I um, asked people, when we open the eye or hear mm-hmm. the people, said you can control. If you want to fear, you can fear. Or you want to hear, you want to hear. If you do a wrong thing, then you see everything, then that is you. Oh, well, that's interesting. Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe so. Um, Somehow the Bodhisattva is able to endure. Um, If you ask me how it works, I think it's because the Bodhisattva has made vows. And those vows are completely to help. I I have an interesting story today, which is I woke up this morning in Phoenix, Arizona. And at noon I had lunch in Sacramento, California. And got back here uh, in the afternoon. Tomorrow will be in San Jose before I go to Ukiah. So this is one of those weekends. So, And in Phoenix, I was there for the, the service space group. And that this was the conversation of how do you surrender? How do you surrender? Because there was a, a wonderful man there whose name is Jayesh Bai, Uncle Jayesh, who lives in Ahmedabad. He's the director of the Gandhi Ashram. And according to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, this is the man who is 
who is doing Gandhi's work. He's, he's keeping it alive. He lives in the place. He was born in the place where Gandhi lived, and he's, he lives there now. And they give everything away. This is the man who walks through the slums and teaches the kids how to brush their teeth and how to wipe their bottoms because there's no other adult supervision there. He's a wonderful man. He, he's an expert in cleaning toilets. Mostly he cleans toilets. And he teaches other people to clean toilets. So, wonderful man. And his talk was all about surrender. He said that the, the bodhisattva is able to... Uh, be fearless. My question to him was, how do you walk through these places where people are uh, so covered with ignorance that they threaten your life when you get in their face and tell them to clean up their garbage? Uh, he's, this man has been had life threats constantly just because he's, he's a righteous figure in a place where mostly life just flows. and He, he stops it and says, it's got to go this way can't flow towards harm, you've got to flow towards good. He says, I surrendered. I surrendered a long time ago. And so I just, I wait for the spirit to move me and then I act. And if I had anything to, to win, he said, I, would, I would, wouldn't have made it to this age. I would have died long ago. And if I had anything to lose, I wouldn't dare do this. I would just go live my life. So, uh, this is a wonderful man. And uh, he says, surrender is the key. So, the Bodhisattva surrendered anything other than his or her vows, which are, I want beings to wake up. I want beings to wake up. And so, hearing those sounds is kind of the water he swims in. It doesn't hurt less for the Bodhisattva, but it's just he has... uh, decided to go swim there. How does Erstor Bodhisattva live in the hills? And I completely believe he does. Right? One of our heroes who we follow, Kshitagarbha Bodhisattva, lives in the hills. There he is. And that's, that's a terrible place to live. And yet he, can, he enters that realm and, and works and s- swims there. So somehow... He has let go of anything to get and anything to lose. And as a result, is able to function in the midst of all that pressure pushing back that would, that would uh, crush me, certainly. Right. So, okay, forward, number three, what's next? Now, I'm going to ask us to um, read... I'm going to actually change it. Don't don't you change it because we'll just we'll reprint these. Instead of the word minds, change it. I'm going to change it to thoughts. So every time minds come up, it comes up over and over again. We'll read it as thoughts. Okay, knowledge of others' thoughts, not others' minds. But you'll see why because the grammar works much better with thoughts than with minds here. Okay, I'm going to read it in in Chinese and. Uh, Please listen along. Uh, don't repeat. Si pusa yi ta xin zhi ru shi er zhi ta zhong sheng xin. So wei you tan xin ru shi zhi you tan xin. Li tan xin ru shi zhi li tan xin you chen xin. Li chen xin you chi xin. Li chi xin you 
烦恼心，无烦恼心，小心广心，大心无量心，略心非略心，善心非善心，定心非定心，解脱心非解脱心，有上心无上心，杂染心非杂染心。广心非广心，皆如是之菩萨如是以他心之之众生心。All right, could I invite you please to join with me in reading and swap out minds for the word thoughts? All right, let's do it together. Here we go. This bodhisattva, using the knowledge of others' thoughts. Knows the thoughts of other living beings as they actually are. That is, if they have thoughts of greed, he knows their thoughts of greed as they actually are. If they are free from thoughts of greed, he knows their freedom from thoughts of greed as it actually is. Whether they have thoughts of anger or are free from thoughts of anger, have thoughts of stupidity or are free from thoughts of stupidity. Have afflicted thoughts or unafflicted thoughts, have meticulous thoughts or negligent thoughts, great thoughts or limitless thoughts, or uncomplicated thoughts or complicated thoughts, scattered thoughts or unscattered thoughts, concentrated thoughts or unconcentrated thoughts, liberated thoughts or unliberated thoughts, surpassed thoughts or unsurpassed thoughts. Defiled thoughts or undefiled thoughts, expansive thoughts or non-expansive thoughts—all of these he knows as they actually are. The bodhisattva, in that way, with the knowledge of others' thoughts, knows the thoughts of living beings. Okay, see why the minds didn't quite work there. That was the early translation. All right, this is number three. This is called Ta Shin Tong, knowledge of others' thoughts. What do we say in English in this culture? Mind reader. Oh, he's a mind reader.、Um, there's actually a. What's the the scientific term for that? Is, do people know? ESP. What's it called, Kim? ESP. ESP. Yes. ESP is a generic for. That include extrasensory perception. Is ESP. That includes other kind of things. But there's. Maybe clear audience. That would be the one above. That would be the ear, clear audience. But you're on the right track. It's something like that. There's a, a if somebody is a something something when he can read other stuff. Clairvoyant is vision, seeing. Clairvoyant is the we haven't got there yet, the the heavenly eye. But maybe somebody who's secretly online at the moment can check. It's, he's a、uh, like a somnambulist, is a sleepwalker, right? It's like this is well, like that kind of thing. Okay, this person, this bodhisattva, is so sensitive. He or she has cleaned up his or her mind so thoroughly that other people's thoughts register. I think, I think that's what's going on. It's that your mind is so quiet when somebody else's mind moves, the ripples hit your mind. Something like that. This is beyond me, but think about that. 
Haven't you wanted to have this power before? No, <laughs> you don't know. I don't want to know what is on my mother's mind I'm not interested in. Not my mom, but I mean. Phil. Uh, Star Trek's uh, Spock. Spock, the empath. Remember? My favorite Star Trek episode. It's one of the, I think it's the first year. Remember? Where was she from? She was the, okay, Spock is, uh, uh, goes to another world and get off the, the ship and he's there with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Captain Kirk gets off the ship with, with Mr. Spock and they're wandering around and somebody gets injured and out comes this woman. Uh, she was a, what shall we call her? Give her a name. She's a thespian. She's from the planet Thespos, all right? Nothing to do with drama. She's, but thespian. Oh, so she comes out and she puts her hand. Does she put her hands on the floor? I think she uses her hands. Or maybe no hands. And she's there and she concentrates. And this look of pain goes on her face. And then it goes away. And the person's healed. She is an empath. E-M-P-A-T-H. She is able to take illnesses into her body and remove them from the body again. Okay, so... Telepath. Telepath. Is that it? Telepath, yes. Telepathy. I... You... You are forgiven, my sister. There you go. All right. Turn that thing off. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. A telepath. Correct. Telepath. Okay. This is an empath. It's a little different. But it's a great episode of Star Trek. Oh, my goodness. So, Captain Kirk wrestles with some very phony... The, the early Star Trek uh, CGI, right? Their special effects are really corny. So, this... This actor coming out wearing a suit, right? Obviously an animal suit with a snout. He looks very much like tonight's friend. He looks, he's got that kind of a nest. Ne- ne- no offense. And he comes out and he wrestles. Captain Kirk goes down and he's about to die. And the empath comes out. And she looks and she realizes to save Captain Kirk, she's going to have to give up her life. And she does. She heals him and she dies. She can't take all the poison. Captain Kirk revives. He sees her very much like Romeo and Juliet. There she is dying, and he starts to cry. His, he's heartbroken because he so much appreciated this, the thespian's ability to heal and her selfless surrender. So he's there heartbroken. Mr. Spock comes over. Telling moment. He puts, what, two fingers on the sides of Captain Kirk's head and goes, forget, forget. Wipes the memory out. So, interesting. That's another story. So, a telepath is able to somehow know what you're thinking. Oh, boy. Imagine the bargains you could get in the marketplace if you knew what the vendor was thinking. You could hit his bottom price and just give it a penny more every time. Right? Imagine the shop. You could be a shopping wizard if you knew. Imagine what you could do with eBay, right? 
you would know exactly when the time to bid. Oh, applications of psychic powers in the marketplace. Oh, the mind reels, right? Imagine what you could do at the horse track. So, uh, the bodhisattva probably doesn't use those marketplace applications, but he or she does use this ability to teach people. Ah, suppose you knew what your child was thinking. Suppose you knew what your spouse was thinking, or your students. Or, suppose you were a doctor, and you knew that the patient had no intention of taking the medicine that you spent 40 minutes getting carefully set, you know. And you would use some, some other way to heal that person. How interesting. Imagine. I mean, mostly people are opaque to us, right? Why did they do that? We can't see the motive. We don't know their motive. Why did that happen? Good Lord, they did what? Right? Because we don't see the invisible but all-powerful tiny flickers of electricity in the brain that wind up motivating people to action. We don't know. We don't see it. So they do crazy stuff. We don't see it. Imagine if you were able to somehow pull out that, you know, brain research, neurological research says flicker of electricity across the synapse. Is that what it is? Is that what a thought is? I mean, what is the shin that these bodhisattvas are reading? It could be something really different than uh, just across from one ganglion to the other. You know, you, you did high school science. What is it when you think? What changes in the brain when we think? We don't know. Well, science give you an answer. Is that what the bodhisattva is reading? Somehow the bodhisattva is bing, perfect. Okay. Uh, two stories of watching a teacher. Many, many people, uh, I think, came to Gold Mountain Monastery or CTTB and stayed because they had an experience of Master Shrenhua somehow knowing what was on their mind, including who? My mother. My mother absolutely thought that Master Shrenhua was a demon because he had stolen her son. Me. There was no other reason for me to leave home that she could come up with other than this teacher had put some LSD into my teacup <laughs> and against my will had stolen me and made me a monk. You know, why? how else would I be doing what I was doing? Inexplicable, right? So she came to the city of 10,000 Buddhas when Three Steps, One Bow had finished. There she was. Suddenly my mother shows up and Master Shrenhua takes her by the hand tells me, he says, you go to sleep, you turn in, I'll talk to your mother. So he puts her in his golf cart, and they drive off into the darkness of the city of 10,000 Buddhas, following this weak beam of the golf cart spotlight. And I'm like, there goes Sherpa with my mom. You know, I'm like, oh my Lord, what's this? So he goes out. The next morning, uh, I get up, and I see my mother and in the dining room, and she says, don't talk. Keep your vow, she said. She said, I would like to talk with you, she said. I'm a boy, you know. So she says, uh, I, I met your teacher last night, and I have to say, he's very wise. 
That word was not in her vocabulary. She didn't talk about wisdom. He's very wise, she said. She said, I had the strangest feeling that he was reading my mind, she said. She said, he gave me these. She held up a string of beads. She said, I don't quite know what to do with them, but I think they're very nice. She said. <laughs> and then she said, you know what he said to me? He said, you think I stole your son. Actually, you took my disciple. Your son has followed me for life after life. She said, what do you think he meant by that? She said, well, I'm not talking, right? She said, never mind, you don't talk. She said, I, I will say one thing. I think he thinks he speaks better English than he actually does, she said. <laughs> I had to guess at a lot that he said, but I think that's what I heard. So my mother, a Methodist churchwoman, had the impression that Sherfa was reading her mind. Her very first encounter with him. Right, so you go, okay, all right, good for you, Mom. And she wound up, uh, then she came out, he, a few years later, he invited her out to City of 10,000 Buddhas to celebrate her 50th birthday. And first time a monk's mother came to a monastery for a birthday party. And uh, he, during lunch, he, I was talking at this point, he uh, pulled me over and said, Gojan, he said, why did you pick this woman to get born to? <laughs> I don't know, Shrivo. I did. <laughs> never mind, never mind. So he said, you need to be careful. So he said, she has deeper affinities with me than you do. Huh. So then he said, all right, now Guajun's mother is going to speak Dharma for us all at lunch. And I remember Hung Chur went, oh, no, you can't do this to her. My mother stood up and she said, thank you very much for the opportunity. Now, I want to speak to all of you monks and nuns. She, said, she was totally ready to give an extemporaneous Dharma talk on the floor. She said, you talk about filiality here, filial piety, she said, but you are not behaving very filially. You need to tell your parents how you are doing, what progress you're making in your cultivation. I'm going, where did she learn this language? You know? <laughs> she said, otherwise, they won't know. They'll, want, they'll think of the strangest things. Actually, following your teacher is a very good idea. He gave you something to believe in during the 60s when... Many of you could have gone off and fought a war in far Southeast Asia, but instead you became Buddhist monks and nuns and fought for peace. That's a good thing, she said, but you have to get your parents on your side. The only way you'll do that is by writing letters to them. Be better monks and nuns, she said. You know, and they're all going, oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, it's like, here's my mother scolding the Sangha. You know, it's like, that's my mom. So Sheriff was laughing, you know. She said, see? He said, there. So... Anyway, story number two, all right, Gofa Olson, right? Bob Olson, many of you know him. Bob recently passed away. However, uh, Bob was there at Gold Mountain when I first got there. And Bob, I told this story, I think, even six months ago, I think. Bob had a sweet tooth, serious sweet tooth. Bob was an electrician, and he... Uh, what do they say? Full disclosure. Um, when I had to pay back my school loans before I could leave home, Bob employed me as his electrical apprentice. 
electrician's apprentice. And man, he put up with a lot. I was completely, I had 10 fingers and 12 thumbs. I was, I'm not very good with materials. I learned, but uh, I did such things as you cut the conduit and you take your knife and ream out the, the sharp edges. And I had reamed out the edges, I turned the conduit around. Just as Bob was inspecting the edges of my conduit, I blew through them and he got all the aluminum filings in his eye and that kind of stuff. So at that point, he took his portable electrician's vise and threw it against his pickup truck and made a permanent dent. So that was my dent in this pickup. Anyway, so here is Bob. Bob had a sweet tooth. And of course, the teacher teaches you according to what you offer him, right? He waits for opportunities to teach you. So, of course, Bob's sweet tooth was the, the, the handle by which he taught Bob. So we were going over to Washington Street, which is the, the former International Translation Institute, ITI. Uh, it was where the women stayed during the week. And uh, so on Sunday afternoons, we would go over there and, and Sherpa would lecture on a, another text, not the main sutra text. So that day we went, and it was Bob Olson's turn to watch the door, to Kanmankal, and you watch, literally, it means to watch the door. Vince, were you there for this one? I, I don't know if you caught that, that lecture. All right, anyway, you'll, you'll recognize the dynamic. Uh, before, before your time, okay, okay. It, it was uh, 74, I think. Yeah, okay, 74. So, Gofa. Uh, Bob Olson's turn to watch the door. Somebody that, now, the idea was we were going over this day and we were going to eat when we came back. We were going to come back to Gold Mountain and eat. Somebody that day offered up a dozen jelly donuts. Bob's weakness was jelly donuts. Every day, our electrician's jobs began with a trip to the jelly donut store where Bob got half a dozen and ate them before we went to work. Swallowed, followed by, what? Uh, two cans of Diet Coke. So, sweet tooth, it's called. So, a dozen jelly donuts. The monks and nuns are coming back to eat. Bob has to watch the door while we're away. It's called test time, right? For somebody who's like driven by a sweet tooth. So, we're getting in the car. Sherpa says, Go Do a good job watching the door. Okay? Don't let anybody steal the door, Bob. Okay, okay, Sherpa. Okay, Sherpa. I'll watch the door. Right? So, we're, you know, we're kind of laughing. We go off to, to Washington Street. So, Shifu is lecturing on the, uh, the nature of medicine, Yao Xing Fu, this, this text that he lectured on. And uh, halfway through, Shifu gets down off the seat, goes into the office, and we hear, uh, we hear the dial ring. Remember, telephones used to have a dial? Ring, ring, ring. Oh, click. Sherpa comes back, gets on the seat, continues to lecture. We're going, what's that about? So, stops the lecture, gets down off the seat, 15 minutes later, goes in. 
Comes back, gets on the seat, right? Finishes the lecture. We're all going, that's really strange. Sherpa's has never done that before. So we get in the van, drive back. We, we get outside the door of Gold Mountain. We're about to open it. Bob Olson comes out. His face is completely white, and he's there bowing to Sherpa. <laughs> bowing, bowing, bowing. What's going on? So we have lunch, and we go over in there. We count the jelly donuts, all 12. <laughs> 13, Baker's dozen. 13 jelly donuts. Bob didn't eat any. So, uh, so lunch is over, and we're, we, first chance we get, we transfer the merit. Go, Fah, what's going on? He said, oh, my God. He said, I was sitting there watching the door, you know, just like Shrifa told me. And I, I, was, I had a sutra in my hands, and I was supposed to be reciting the sutra. He says, those jelly donuts started talking to me. <laughs> You know, and he said they were in the kitchen, and I was sitting there. I was thinking, no way, no way, I can't do it, I can't do it. That's why I've heard it. You know, like I and he, uh, he said, I was going. He said I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand. I thought just one. Nobody will notice. There's 13, right? I'll just you know just one. And so he goes. He goes over. He's putting his hand. We had a, one of those doors like we have here. Putting his hand on the kitchen door. Ring. Telephone. He goes, better answer it. He's back. Go far. Needs a man. Anybody steal the door, go far? Uh, no, sir. No, no. He says, I, I was covered in sweat immediately. He's just sweating from every pore. Hangs up on him. He says, okay, go far. We'll see you soon. Click, hangs up. He sits down. The jelly donuts start talking to him again. Go far. You know, he goes over. He, says, he runs towards the kitchen. Pushes the door, ring. <laughs> Comes back, and go I just wanted to tell you, why don't you start the rice? It'll be ready when we're there. Okay, okay, Shervo. Okay, no problem. Hangs up. He goes and bows to the Buddha. Starts the rice and just sits there and waits. And when Shervo comes back, he comes out, he bows to him. He says, how can you cheat on a teacher like this? You can't. So at that point, Bob said, I really had to look at my mind to greet. If it's that loud, if my false thoughts are that loud that Shrifo can hear them across San Francisco, <laughs> he said, it's time to actually change. So, so from that time on, he, he tried. He really tried to, to give up the, so much sugar. So he cut jelly donuts down from a dozen to half a dozen. And that's, that's not bad. He cut the Diet Coke down from one to two to one, one can, before, before breakfast. So. Anyway, that's, that's sureful. And you go, what do you, how, you know. So that night, that night, somebody, I forget who it was, at the end of the lecture, Shrifu would always say, anybody have any questions? And one of the, I guess it was Tim Testu, Hungju was always testing Shrifu. He said, Shrivo, Gofa uh, told us what happened today. He said, we want to know, can you read people's minds, Shrivo? Shrivo said, with disciples like mine, if I couldn't read their minds, how could I ever teach them? He said. We're going, yeah, we kind of thought so. 
with disciples like mine, if I couldn't read their thoughts, how could I teach them? Okay. So, do you make sense of that? No, but that's, you know, that's what we heard. That's, that's what happened. So, here it specifies the Bodhisattva is so sensitive. He's so tuned in. Maybe you could say he is so free of self. He has wiped away, given away, surrendered this thing that we have here so strongly binding our realms, cutting the me and mine, my loves and hates so strong that we block out broadcasts that are always there. You could think, all right, just think about it. Where, and we say, I, I say this when we're doing transference, where does my mind in empty space stop and yours begin? Where does your mind stop and mine begin? Where in space do they meet? My answer would be everywhere. How can you imagine there would be an actual fence in space keeping my mind from touching your mind? Right? In principle, they should touch. So what that means is anything I'm thinking, you in principle should be aware of. Crude things I pick up. If somebody's really upset, you can feel it. It's kind of just a feeling, right? If somebody's really happy, you can feel it. Babies often are infectious because there's, there's fewer filters maybe in a child's happiness. They're just effervescent and bubbling. People feel better when there's a happy baby. When a baby, you ever see this? If you're in a public place like a supermarket or a a crowd, if a baby cries almost, I've, I've watched this now, most of the women in the room do this. When a baby cries, there's this hard wire between babies that need help and women, the nurturing, they go to it. You just, in an airport, for example, a baby cries. Men do too, but not to the same degree. It's like, you just say, ah, on the job. You know, that baby, and I don't know what, they're reading something this baby needs or not. He's just crying, you know. But I notice there's that, we, we do pick up certain signals. But here's the Bodhisattva, look at the detail. What does he know? Anger or no anger? Greed or no greed? Excuse me. Stupidity, no stupidity. Afflictions, no affliction. Meticulous or negligent. Great, limitless. Complicated, uncomplicated. Scattered, unscattered. Concentrated, unconcentrated. Free or not free. Unsurpassed minds or totally tiny minds. Defiled or undefiled. Expansive, non-expansive. Exactly, it says over and over again, Ruscherger, just the way they are. The Bodhisattva is picking these up unerringly. How amazing. What, what is precise? Um, a camera is precise. We used to say film, you know, now it's an electrical sensor. Well, let's do something quicker. Your computer monitor. 
um, the retina display that Apple has been amazing people with. A retina display, when you, when you click it on, you know, it's like it gives you... I remember the first time I saw that. I mean, that's brilliant. And your, your droids do too, okay? Brilliant kind of, yeah, uh, display. And it's not off by a little bit. Imagine if some of those colors kind of bled or if the pixels were like missing a bunch. You go, whoa, something's wrong here. How precise that is. The Bodhisattva's sensor, his retina display, is picking up so precisely, unerringly, exactly what you're thinking. What do you all think? Telepath. Telepathy. Mental telepathy. That's what we say, mental telepathy. It's sometimes it's a parlor game, like or a, a, a vaudeville act, right? The uh, the mis- uh, the great mysterioso, the great mysterioso is now, you know, he's got his black hat, his cane, taps his cane, taps his hat. He's thinking. He knows what you're thinking. He's picked up somewhere in the room. Someone is thinking of dinner. Am I right? Ha <laughs> ha! You know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> the great Mr. Nelson. So, you know, what, how does those acts go? What is he picking up? Mm. Ordinary stuff. The Bodhisattva is picking up precise, precise thoughts. How amazing. What do you all think? How does this, how does this work? Wonderful. <laughs> I know what my phone is thinking. My phone is thinking, answer me. <laughs> Was someone going to say something? What's going on? How does the Bodhisattva know? And how do you filter? How do you know it's thoughts from her and not the person behind? Kai says it's, it's channels. If you have a channel, like affinities, right? And if you don't have it, then you don't get it. Could be. Does it Angela. If it's coming up for self or others, if it's coming up, it just needs to be addressed. And if the Bodhisattva has realized it's something no self. Say, say it again. It's, okay. it's self and others. Okay. If the item arises and it needs attention and it doesn't matter if it belongs to the Bodhisattva or the other living being because there's no separation in the Bodhisattva's mind. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's, I'm thinking in that direction because what we know, we know that the Bodhisattva has, becomes a Bodhisattva and these, these abilities only arise after he's what he or she has been through the dhyanas. Right? The dhyanas were two weeks ago. And also the, the four stations of emptiness. So this bodhisattva is a powerful meditator. A really effective meditator. When he or she sits still, um, 
Breathing stops, heartbeat stops, crude thoughts stop, subtle thoughts stop. We've already heard that, right? That was back on page. That was on page 53. So once you are in control of your mind, Angela pointed to the self, the boundary between self and others has been erased. That's what changes as you've been sitting. Now we're assuming it's sitting. It could be bowing that you enter the dhyanas. But by and large, you think of somebody doing this, right? Sitting still until you tune your instrument. You hone your receptor, right? You've gone from coarse to subtle, subtle to precise, precise to infinitely subtle, precise. Then it's gone. There is a place where you reach the limits of the self and it, it becomes something else. It transforms. Consciousness goes to wisdom. So, yes, I think that's, that's where my mind goes. At that point, the bodhisattva is able to pick stuff up. Because it's, no, it's a continuum. Vince? Self, others, living beings, like that. Right. Okay. I. Yeah. Vince is Vince is seconding Angela's idea, saying that here's the way that he thinks of it. the The conventional way is I'm in my body. Somebody else's thoughts are coming out of their body. And somehow I know them, that we're crossing this distance. He says that's conventional thinking. The sutra is suggesting, correct me if I get it wrong, the sutra is saying that this bodhisattva is no longer limited by this body. He's gone beyond this thing, you know, we think mostly I'm hearing with these or knowing with these. If it's somebody's thoughts, I must be knowing them with this, right? We kind of think brain. And it's probably very different than that. It's probably a, the mind that fills up space somehow and is nowhere and everywhere. So your mind moves precisely, I know it. Okay? That's, that's, I kind of get that. Yes, sir? Right. In in what medicine or? Wow. So, tell me your name. Kaushik says that uh, it's uh, it's similar to empathy. You just know. For example, he said he's seen things that border on the miraculous. For example, your father was in an accident, he said. Uh, he, was he was being held up by a gun. 
And he was in, in peril, and his mother knew it instantly. So between parents, between couple, husband and wife, there is a bond that is that goes through space. You know, space is not an issue. Good. Dashing. Yeah, right. Yeah, Master Dashing says uh, that Master Shenhua has a verse called the Dharma Realm verse, and the first line is, when when your body is the Dharma Realm, at the universe, what could exist outside it? Yeah. Okay. How interesting. So, I suspect uh, if we ask Shurfu, how does this work, or how come we don't know it, he would say something like, I was just putting words in my teacher's mouth, is always dangerous. He would say something like, how do you not know it? It's, you have, it's because you are working so hard, uselessly, you obstruct it. It's not by reaching for it or doing anything that you know it. It's by stopping the reaching for it and the knowing it that you are totally immersed in it. It's like, I can't see the sun. I don't, the sun doesn't exist. I can't see it. Well, take your hand off your eyes. Oh, there it is, right? No, no, I can't see the sun. You know, it's that we're so busy, so unsettled so not pure that we block out something that's surrounding us all the time I suspect that the answer is close to that it's simpler than we make it it's not so complicated but we have put thumbprints over our eyeglasses we've scratched our glasses painted them over cracked them so we say I can't see anything right we just pull off the scratches and the paint and the thumbprints, polish them. Oh, I can see now. I think it's like that. It's The perfect example would be, ladies and gentlemen, in my hand, I have KQED's radio broadcast signal, 88.5. It's right here. Oh, you can't see it? Oh, well, you need a radio. Put the radio there, turn it. Oh, you know, this is car talk, click and clack, the Tappet Brothers. <laughs> who, by the way, are retiring. Yeah, September is the end of click and clack. Uh, Tommy Magliazzi, 70 years old. Did you know? What is NPR going to do? They're going to, quote, repackage earlier shows and keep the show running. Because cars cars are out there. We still need them. So it's not going to be live anymore. They're going to rerun. So... How funny, you put a radio in your hand, suddenly 88.5 is there all along. It was always there. You just didn't have a radio. Right? So maybe these thoughts are all totally here, and we don't have a radio. We haven't honed our receiver. But as soon as we do, suddenly it's there. 
But the process, notice, I mean, it's not that the Bodhisattva suddenly pops out with these abilities. We have been going step by step by step through this third ground, right? Remember, we, I trace it back probably every week, which is the Bodhisattva sees suffering, wants to get us through it, discovers the only way to do it is by teaching us. He decides he, she wants that knowledge, goes looking for somebody to teach him the Dharma. It's the Dharma. And he, there's a whole section where he, it says, uh, gets fed up with conditioned things. He realizes that things that fall apart are the problem. We grab on to things that fall apart, which is everything, conditioned dharmas. This was an organic, this was a piece of earth before it got turned into porcelain. So it'll go back. And that's what he says, this, is, this stuff is unreliable. Conditioned dharmas are totally unreliable, but we grab them. We love them. We hate them. We move our minds over stuff that ultimately becomes other stuff. I want people to wake up. The dharma's the way. I got to find a teacher. Going to go search for a teacher. Then there's that moving passage where he says, I will do anything, anything, in order to get even a single sentence of dharma that will help me purify my bodhisattva practices, it says. And so if somebody comes up hearing that, ah, do you mean it? Can you throw your body down from the highest precipice into a pit of fire to get a single sentence of dharma? He says, you bet I can. Doesn't matter how high it is. Good indeed. You're sincere. So then at that point, he starts to meditate. It's interesting that the meditation section follows that resolve. And we had a long conversation these last couple of weeks about the pain in the knees when you meditate. What's it like? Like a pit of fire. Right? So there's a little reality check about don't think pit of fire, think pain in the knees. And it's a little closer to home. Can you sit still through the pain in the knees to get a single sentence of Dharma? Question. Bit by bit. Don't rush it. And then the psychic abilities arise. So if you said... Why does this Bodhisattva get Shantong psychic abilities? Because he wants to teach. That's it. He's moved. He can't stand to see people hurt. He wants to find a way to end it. That's where they come from. No other reason. Okay. So, there we go. Um... We could go on to past lives, but it's kind of a long session. Section, and I've been keeping you all late, um, so I think that's not right. There are two more to go. There's past lives, then there's the eye, then there's vision. Past lives, knowledge of past lives, and knowledge of we could say heavenly eye, able to see. So I think we'll, we'll take a break at that point and start again there. We'll do two next week and finish this up. Isn't this interesting? Because, it, I mean, we're right now using these six senses, which are so limited. And yet here's the sutra saying, look what's there. And this is the... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, this is a real story. 
This is the, the sutra on psychic powers. So there it is. And from a scientific point of view, there's, if you want to find out about psychic powers, you read things like Labsang Rampa, the third eye. Right? When I was growing up, remember Labsang Rampa? He's, that's a, a, a pen name of some British writer. 25% of it is, is good, 75% of it is, is good writing. Right? But it gave him famous. And then what do we have? We have ESP, extrasensory perception, and Dr. Rhine at the Duke University, the only place in America where a major university sponsored or funded any kind of research into anything that isn't totally practical, empirical, things you can test, right? But the Russians, the Russians beat us to it. Psychic discoveries behind the Iron Curtain. Remember that? Y'all looked into that? When I was about 16 or 17, there was this book, Yuri Geller. Y'all remember Yuri Geller? He could do what? Bend spoons. By golly. How weird that, you know, we heard about this. Yuri Geller, U-R-I-G-E-L-L-A-R, was a Russian psychic who could use his mind and make a spoon go like that. And oh my goodness, you know, here's proof of ESP, extrasensory perception. And Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain was a book about a kind of a, a catch-all of things that were going on in Russia. Some of it verifiable, some of it uh, the fantasies of the anti-communist era. And we couldn't let Russia get ahead of us in anything, including extrasensory perception. So the Defense Department started finding people, anybody who had any kind of psychic power that they could use as a weapon. Oh boy, there are, and it's totally hushed up to this day because who could admit that? So uh, this is the strange history in the scientific West of our research into things that, you know, how ironic. You say, no, sit still. <laughs> Just sit still. Don't bend spoons. <laughs> don't, don't try to use sharks to, or, or dolphins to go spy. They were using sharks and dolphins, trying to communicate with them and rig them up to go into the harbor at, at uh, Vladivostok to count the submarines, you know, record back. It's bizarre, bizarre. So one of the more interesting ones that, that crosses over, Kirlian photography. Am I the only one who remembers this stuff? Come on. David, did you read this stuff back then? Never, no, okay, he won't admit it. All right. So, Kirlian photography. Uh, there was a Russian scientist who charged a photographic plate and then would take a leaf and cut it. First, he would put the leaf in front of the photographic plate, take a picture of it, and what showed up on the, on the, the plate was these very interesting glowing lines that had the shape and the outline of the leaf, kind of light, you know, streaks of light. Then he would cut the leaf and wait a few minutes and then take the picture again. And the lines were faded, faded. 
Take a third picture, all gone. So then Kirlian took a human hand and put it in front of the plate and took a picture. Now, wait, then he cut the hand. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, no, he didn't. He uh, showed people who were sick and would take a picture of their chi meridians, maybe, and say, aha, guess what? Acupuncture has been telling the truth all this time. Chinese medicine told us, duh, before we photographed it, that there are these channels where some energy is flowing. Chi, prana, right? Numa, running through the breath and the chi. So everybody goes, wow, look at that. Science proves that, you know, we had to wait for Kirlian to come along and show us before we believed what Chinese medicine had been telling us for 6,000 years. So Kirlian photography became a big deal. And what did people use it to prove? That plants are alive and you vegetarians are just as bloodthirsty as a meat eater, therefore I can eat meat with a clean conscience. How amazing, right? It's called plant pathology was born. The health and the illness of plants using Kirlian photography. Well, that's come a long way. So that was, that was one of the psychic discoveries behind the Iron Curtain. Go, go Google that tonight. You'll be amazed at how that's been out since the 60s and 70s. And uh, the, you know, we were so pathologically afraid of Russians beating us in anything that we secretly funded research into this kind of stuff, but not openly. We wouldn't do it openly. So here's the sutra. Potentially, this has been among humans for 2,600 years or since Nagarjuna brought it back. And here's, you know, this incredible document saying every human is hardwired to have these abilities, but we don't do the groundwork to bring it out. Here's the true story. To this day, I would maintain very, very few people have read the Avatamsaka Sutra as a source for knowledge about the body's and mind's ability. Number one is in Chinese. Number two, the Buddha, I mean, he's the peace guy, right? What does that have to do with psychic abilities? Everything. So this text is a handbook of the, uh, the potential of a human life explored and awoken, awakened to its ultimate point. How interesting. Okie doke, nine o'clock, and we'll transfer the merit now. <clears throat> Put your mind into that space, into that air that we share. And it's, it's not between. If it's only between, if you think that we're only in this body. But it's, it's certainly it's a, it's a space that we share.
Hey.